0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, join us at Walters for the first ever Nats Chat Podcast Party. We'll hang out, watch playoff baseball, chat about the Nats, and get to know fellow fans of the team.
1: The event begins at 7 p.m. at Walters, just across from Nationals Park, on Friday night, October 14th.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: here's the sack. 1-1 one, one delivery swing by Acuna line drive to the gap in right center field and that's gonna get down and go to the wall in right center rounding third coming in to score is Grossman it's the Braves 2 and the Nationals nothing Garcia at first held by Olsen Chavez to the belt deals Swing a fly ball deep left field. Toward the corner it goes. Way back going, going, and long gone. Up into the Hank Aaron Terrace in the first row. Joey Manessis does it to the Braves again. His 10th home run of the season gives the Nationals a 3-2 lead. What a clout
0: off the bat of Joey Manessis. And welcome to Natchat Chat for Thursday, September 22, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, the Joey Manessis phenomenon continued on Wednesday afternoon. One out, two run homer on a bomb to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-2 Nats lead in the bottom of the seventh in what ended up being a 3-2 Nats win at the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves. Nats avoid a three-game sweep. Nats get to 52-97 and on the season. And the craze continues to happen. And the Nats, in a game in which they only had six hits, end up winning at the Mighty Braves in a game in which the Braves had 10 hits. Yes, the Nats lost the first two games of the series. And yes, of course, we know how this season is going for the Nats. But this was a nice win for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon, Mark.
1: So how do you win a game when you only have six hits, Al? You hit a home run, a two-run homer. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's something to see.
0: It is. And how about the Braves? 10 hits, each hit a single. You know, the Nats did to the Braves what the Braves have done to the Nats about uh, 50,000 times, it feels like, this season.
1: Bizarro world. Up is down, down is up. Everything's out of whack. So timely hitting and hitting for power some great bullpen work, which I'm sure we're going to get to here, really not just in this game, but across the whole series in the last week or so. Bullpen has been phenomenal despite a really heavy workload and some really key defensive plays as well they made along the way to ensure that they pulled off that win. But I come away from this thinking to myself, look, obviously the Braves are the better team. There's no comparison between the two. And yet they played them very competitively all three games. They didn't hit a lot. There was at least one of those games that didn't really feel like they had a good shot at coming back, but they were basically in all of these games and finally pulled this one off. And it's to me a really striking difference now versus earlier in the summer when they face each other, where you knew in the fourth inning, they were not going to win this game. Whereas in this case, they were competitive all the way through it. And I, I think it's a credit to the way they're playing baseball right now. We've talked about it for weeks. It's a much more competitive, more entertaining brand of baseball they're playing.
0: Nats are playing better. You know, I got to say, the Braves were not overly impressive, especially over the final two games of this series. Uh, A lot of sloppiness, errors, base running mistakes, et cetera. I mean, the Braves are a really good team. We get that. But Atlanta was not at its best these last two games. And, you know, you do wonder if Joey Manessis had been on the Nats for the entirety of the season, what would his season look like? Because we're now at a point where You know, the idea of like, well, the league is going to catch up to Joey Meneses, and teams are going to have ample tape on Joey Meneses. I mean, look, he's now been up for 187 plate appearances. I mean, the tape is out there. Okay. Like if there's a flaw, you would think that that flaw would have been exploited by now. And instead, all this guy does is continue to hit game in, game out. He in this game on Wednesday afternoon, two for four with that two run homer, a single And an intentional walk. You know, it's funny. I brought up to you the other day that Manessis never draws walks. Well, he's drawn an intentional walk in each of the last two games now. We're starting to get some of the Juan Soto treatment, which is interesting. But Manessis, in this game on Wednesday afternoon, top of the first, a two-out first pitch single to center field. Top of the fifth, he drew a two-out intentional walk. And then came the homer. And, I mean, you know, you can't overstate in this game how big of a moment this was. A two-run seventh, a one-out, two-run bomb to left field on a one-two pitch, 420 feet per stat cast. Joey Maness is now over those 187 plate appearances since being called up by the Nats on August 2nd, batting average of .328, on base percentage .364, slugging percentage of .563. Do I think he would have put those numbers up over the course of the season? Probably not. But, you know, as the sample size continues to grow, again, if there is some flaw that other teams are going to exploit, where is it? Because he's been up for a while now.
1: Yeah, you can see they're trying to pitch him down and away, and he pokes that ball to right field. And then when he does get a pitch on the inner half, he turns on it. And I mean, he hit that thing a mile. There was no doubt where that one was going off the bat. So this is 43 games now that he's played in the big leagues since August 2nd. So just slightly more than a quarter of a full 162 game season. He's got 57 hits and 10 homers. Look at it this way he's essentially on pace over a full season to have 215 hits and almost 40 homers. Now, again, that's, you know, one quarter of a season. There have been plenty of guys in the history of baseball who've looked great for a quarter of a season but have not proven they can do it over an entire season. That said, we've reached the point where we're past that, just that initial honeymoon phase. This is extending longer than that now. They've had time to adjust. He's had time to adjust. The numbers, I think, speak for themselves. Would he do that? If he played this whole season, would he have finished with 215 hits and like 38 home runs? Probably not. But until he proves otherwise, this is who he is right now. So much so the Braves obviously respect it because, like you said, two days in a row, they decided, you know what? Two outs, first base open. We're not letting Joey Manessis beat us. And that says a lot about him. It also says a little bit about who was hitting behind him and the rest of the lineup. But that's an incredible amount of respect for a guy 43 games into his big league career.
0: Well, and to draw the comparison to someone who kind of sort of did this last year for the Nats, Lane Thomas. So he hit really well over the final two months of the season. We had the conversation of, okay, what does this mean? How real is this? He hasn't hit like that for the entirety of this season, but he has been hitting like that lately. And I think what you can say with Lane Thomas is there's something there. And he's a lot more than just what you thought he was when the Nats got him for, remember, John Lester in his five-plus ERA last summer. So with Manessis, I mean, is he exactly this? Maybe not, but there's something there. Like there's production to be had from this guy. Like even with Lane Thomas, right? He has his 16 home runs this season. He's been hitting quite well over the last few weeks. He's going to finish with halfway decent numbers. There's something there. There's something here with Joey Manessis. And the big question would be, well, how much of a something... Is there. You can always email the podcast, nat's chat Podcast at gmail.com. David Janis wrote us, he said, would love to hear a discussion of the following on the podcast. Joey Manessis was in the Braves organization for nine seasons, then spent time with Philly and Boston in their minor league systems. Did all three of those organizations just not see his potential, or is he simply having a breakout season that nobody could have anticipated? I think that's a great topic. I think that it would be naive to think that this was always there and apparent and all these teams just missed it. You know, it's not often that someone blossoms in his late 20s, early 30s, but it does happen. And I guess maybe that's what is happening here with Joey Maness—is that he's just one of these late bloomers. And it's just a question of how big is the bloom?
1: I think it's a combination of things there. Yeah. It's, some of it may be that those teams just overlooked him and never thought that he'd be the hitter that he's becoming right now. And we talked about the other night about the perceptions and if a guy isn't a high draft pick or doesn't have that track record or notoriety about him as he's coming up through the minor leagues, you just sort of assume he's not that good and maybe he hits in the minor leagues and say, well, that won't translate to the big league level. So I think there's some of that. But I think we also have to point out the Braves in particular, here's a first baseman in their minor league system. He was blocked for a long time by Freddie Freeman. In Philadelphia, you had Reese Hoskins at first base. The Red Sox more recently had a lot of you know pretty big name hitters ahead of him. So I think some of it is that. It was about opportunity not really being there. And then as you get older and older, and he spent a year in Japan, he left for a while, you do kind of build this reputation of, well, he's not really a big leaguer. So it took all of this for, to get to the point where he would play in the big leagues, get his chance. I mean, it took Juan Soto and Josh Bell – being traded. If the Nats don't make those trades, I don't know that they call him up at any point this year. He wasn't really, again, on a whole lot of people's radar. We kind of knew, oh, here's this guy who's 30 years old putting up good numbers at AAA, but we weren't thinking, oh, hey, he could be the next big thing. So sometimes right place, right time, the right timing, not having somebody block uh, your position in front of you. But yeah, if he were to keep this up, Certainly, you're going to have people associated with those other franchises that say, how did we miss this? How did we not realize what we had right there in the palm of our hand and we let him slip away?
0: We got this email, too, from Bill Simmons, and this is not something that has been brought up a lot. He writes, Joey Manassas has done well as a nad, but it is difficult for me to continue to find that an exciting development now that I have learned he was busted in Japan for PEDs. His year-long suspension in Japan in 2019 at least partly helps to explain why he was over 30 when he was called up to the Nats on top of him being blocked in some or other organizations. Part of the problem with abusing PEDs is that a player's benefit from using them can be long-lasting and continue past the duration of any punishment. So yes, he has paid for his infraction, but he also is possibly benefiting from the infraction as well. Considering that Mike Rizzo makes it a point of ensuring that high character guys are on the roster, I'd like to imagine that Mike has investigated this part of Manessas' background and probably even talked to him about it and is satisfied that he is no longer using. I still find it troubling, though, to have a person who has resorted to PEDs on the roster. Uh, The Nats also had D-Strange Gordon earlier, too. It strikes me as a risky influence for the younger players. So that is something that we have not talked about, that Manessis in 2019 did test positive for PEDs in Japan. Now, players are tested regularly in MLB. I think it's naive to think that PED use isn't still going on, but I think it's also accurate to say that there is now PED testing in MLB, the likes of which we did not have, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And so to the extent that you can say that guys now are playing clean, I think that you can say that. Like, if you are in the majors... And you don't test positive. I mean, there is legitimate testing going on. We see guys get busted. So, you know, I think it's a worthy thing to raise, but I think you also can say, well, Manessas has been at the major league level now for a while. And uh, as far as we know, he has tested clean.
1: Yeah. Uh, there also is some testing in the minor leagues now as well. You don't have to be on a 40-man roster anymore. So it's been several years since he was in Japan playing in organized baseball back here in the States and has not come up testing positive for anything it is a lot harder now to cheat the system to beat the system than it was a while back but i'm glad he brought up the issue cuz it isn't something we've really talked about i've tried to look into a little bit i've not been able to find out a lot about this i haven't talked directly to joey about it either there's not a lot of history of suspensions in japan i think they have a pretty strict testing program and i think players who go over there really understand that that's not something that's going to fly or get by with there. What he tested for hydrostenolazole, which is not one that comes up a lot. Stenolazole is a more common anabolic steroid that you hear about. I don't know the difference when you add the hydro to it. It sounded like it was a fairly small amount, a trace amount. Again, I don't know enough about the Japanese system to know if they have different standards and if you have uh, you know a number on your test that in the United States would not trigger a positive test that maybe there it does. I, so I don't know the answer to all those things. I, I'd like to find out more about it, obviously. But like you said, three years since then, he's been in the minor leagues. He's been in the big leagues now. I'm sure he's been tested since he's been up in the big leagues. You, know, you want to hope and believe that there isn't anything fishy going on with it. I think I'd also say that part of what's so impressed about what he's done here, it's not just the power. Remember that first week to 10 days that Joey four bags all the home runs? So much of it now is – reaching those outside pitches, singles to right field, doubles to the gap. So there's a lot more to his game that says to me, this guy knows how to hit. And there's only so much that PEDs are going to do for you in that regard. So will we ever know for sure? No. And that's fair to bring that up and to at least have some skepticism about what he's doing right now. But I would just say based on what the testing is here, the amount of time he's been here and what the actual performance is. I think it looks as clean as you're going to get these days, I would say.
0: Well, I think it's a compliment to Joey that we're talking about PEDs because that's how well he's doing that. You know, you say to yourself, like, well, something maybe possibly must be happening here because of just how exceptional he has been. I would also say this to what Bill said about how PED use in the past can impact you in the present It kind of depends on what you've used and how long you use that thing for. If you for, you know, four weeks in 2019 use some PEDs, that's not going to still be in your system three years later. Now, if you were using growth and steroids for years, it may still be a part of you like years later in terms of, you know, you built your body up and you still have some of that body mass. So it kind of depends on what you use, how long you used it for. I mean, Manessis is a big guy. You can tell like he's got some mass to him naturally. And yeah, he's doing a great job. I mean, I give the guy a ton of credit for what he's doing. It's been a lot of fun to watch. And he did it again on Wednesday afternoon with that two run home run. Hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Fourbags Manessis? Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need, more money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half Of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S., he specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. Like Joey Menezes' Big Breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong in 2022, and there's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas, at Zenith Legal. His number is 202-486-3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalthus today. Go Nats and go Joey.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Now the set. Here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive into left center field. That's going to be a base hit for Barrera. Speeding around second. Palacio's heading for third. Up with the ball as Harris will get the ball in on a hop to second base. And Trace Barrera is two for two.
0: So there was something else about the Nats offense in this game in addition to Manessas hitting the homer and the team totaling just six hits. You had both Josh Palacios and Tres Pereira in this Nats lineup on Wednesday afternoon. I don't know if like Davey Martinez got held hostage prior to the game or what. I mean, these are two guys who Davey like just has refused to play. He played them both. And the guy who really stood out was Tres Pereira. Understand, the Nats on September 1st recalled Tres Pereira from AAA Rochester as part of the expansions of Major League rosters. He had not appeared in a single game since then. Even with K. ruiz on the 10-day injured list with the testicular contusion, all we had seen at catcher for the Nats were Riley Adams and Israel Pineda. Well, we finally did see Tres Pereira play on Wednesday afternoon. He was the Nats' starting catcher. And he ended up having a pretty good game. He went two for four with two singles and one for two on runners trying to steal. Top of the 30 had a one-out single up the middle on a 1-2 pitch that got fielded in shallow center field. And then Barrera slid head first into first base, which, by the way, my understanding is you're never supposed to do. And yet Barrera did that. And then Barrera in the Nats one-run fifth had a one-out single to left center field on an 0-2 pitch. So single on a 1-2 pitch, single on an 0-2 pitch. And then Barrera in the bottom of the seventh threw out Vaughn Grissom on an attempt to steal a second base for the third out to complete a strike him out throw him out double play with the Nats nursing a 3-2 lead. And I tell you, we could do like an hour on that seventh inning. Carl Edwards Jr. tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh that concluded with a 12-pitch plate appearance by Dansby Swanson that resulted in that strike him out, throw him out, double play. So I guess if you're Tres Pereira, you've been up in the major league level for weeks. You haven't played at all. You got to make the most of an opportunity like this. And uh, he did that on Wednesday afternoon.
1: Yeah, you better believe he did. And, you know, we talked the other day about, well, why hasn't he been playing? And maybe the Nats have just kind of already decided they know what he is and don't need to see a lot more, which doesn't speak very highly of him and his chances in the long term. Finally, gets the opportunity, you better make the most of it. And he sh- certainly did those couple of hits. On the head first slide, yeah, the only time you ever do that going into first base is if you think there's a chance you're going to be avoiding a tag. If it's a high throw or an offline throw and the first baseman might try to catch it and swipe the tag, then you try to dive underneath it. But it does not get you to first base any faster to dive than it would be to run straight through it. But good for him. It worked out. That throw uh, on the double play caught stealing, only the third base runner he's thrown out in 34 attempts in the big leagues the last two seasons. So that has been a problem area for him. That was a perfect throw by him, a great tag as well by Garcia. So a lot of good things from him in that game. And that at bat, the 12 pitch at bat, I thought even they got out of it, I thought that was going to end up costing them in the end because you knew that Carl Edwards is in there for probably two innings in this game. They were talking about on the broadcast going into that inning. And Dansby Swanson's fouling off everything left and right. He gets up to 12 pitches and And great job to get out of it. He finally got him on a changeup after throwing nothing but fastball, fastball, fastball. But I'm thinking to myself, he burned up so much just to get out of that one. Chances are he's not going to be able to get through another inning. He wound up having a long eighth inning as well with a lot of harrowing moments. Got out of that one thanks to some defense and some base running mistakes by the Braves. That, to me, was the whole game right there. That great job by Manessas to give him the lead, but with a bullpen that you knew was taxed, overworked, running on fumes at that point, Carl Edwards... And with help from his defense, found a way to get through those seventh and eighth innings and get the ball to Kyle Finnegan for the ninth.
0: Yeah, the bullpen was good, but the bullpen did put guys on base. Edwards in that bottom of the eighth inning, scoreless eighth inning, despite giving up two singles and a walk. He had Andres Machado tossing a scoreless bottom of the sixth despite giving up back-to-back two out singles. While we're talking, though, about the head first slide of Tres Pereira into first base, so we got what I thought was a really good email from Bob Appel. The other day. Again, you can email us NatschatPodcast at gmail.com. He says, I have a question about the new rules for next year, and I can't seem to find a clear answer. With the bases becoming larger, will first base become three inches closer to home? I believe that home to first is ninety feet measured to the back of the first base bag. So that would mean with the base three inches larger, the front edge of the base will be three inches closer to home. Could this lead to more infield singles? Do we know? Is the bag going to be positioned differently now that it's bigger and might reduce that distance between home to first? Have you heard anything on that? Because I have not.
1: I have not heard specifically that. And you're right. And for people who don't know, it's not 90 feet to the front edge of the base like the Breeder points out, it's 90 feet to the back edge of the base. so That is important in this regard. Are they going to keep that as 90 feet, which then does bring the front edge a little bit closer? I do know that they've talked about one of the reasons for this, in addition to player safety, is to make the distance between first and second, second and third a little bit closer to try to encourage more stolen base attempts. It may not sound like much, but think about how many bang-bang plays there are on stolen bases. All of a sudden, three inches on both bases could make a big difference in going for it and maybe beating out more stolen base attempts. So if that is closer, then it would seem to stand a reason that you want uniformity all around that that would bring first base slightly closer. And that's fascinating to see what the impact of that would be. For as long as any of us and our fathers and grandfathers and people before them have known baseball, 90 feet home to first, and the idea of a routine ground ball to short You know what it takes to throw them out, and they're almost always going to make the play in time, unless you're super speed Ichiro Suzuki, Trey Turner, maybe have a chance at beating it out. A couple of inches difference could turn some plays that we, for our entire lifetimes, have thought of as routine, and all of a sudden, they're not quite as routine as we think. I don't know the answer to this, but I know that part of the reason for Increasing the size of the bases is to encourage more stolen bases, i.e., more offense. So it would stand to reason that could also translate to more infield singles.
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Bob. We appreciate that. A few other things from this win for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon. Luis Garcia had the Nats' other extra base hit in the game. He, in the top of the fifth, had a two out first pitch double to right field. He finished with a double and a walk. Victor Robles on Wednesday afternoon made another great defensive play. He did go 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, but he, for a second consecutive game, uh, had a real standout defensive moment.
3: Now the pitch. Cunha swings, hits it in the air to shallow center. Robles coming hard. He will get there to make the catch, loses his footing, pops up, firing back to first. It's a double play! Grissom could not get back.
0: Another spectacular play by Victor Robles in center field. This was a no hop throw. I mean, Robles fired a bullet. To what a play that was. I mean, again, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, but tremendous defensive play. Remember, Robles on Tuesday night, bottom of the six, Nats down 2 1, a terrific diving catch in the right center field gap of a two out liner by Travis Darno for the third out. I mean, I think we know this. Victor Robles can play center field, but when it comes to the highlight play, nobody on the Nats has provided more in recent years. And even now, with his offense still a major issue and his future with the Nats very much up in the air. This guy can still do things that really very few outfielders in baseball can do.
1: And that's why he keeps getting these opportunities to play, despite the fact we know that offense has just not been up to snuff and the fact that he does make mistakes on the bases and also in the field. When you have that ability, you can be a difference maker in the field in a high profile position like center field. What I liked about that play is he broke it down into two parts, make the catch first Then get up and make a solid throw to first. Don't try to be the hero like he actually had a play there. So that's worth it. Sometimes you'll see him try to do something like that, make the hero play when there's really no hope of anything. That was a case where, yeah, it was worth the risk. Put the throw on the money, got him out. Great job by Victor. And You know, in the long run, I think you would happily take that defense in center field for many more years if he could just do enough at the plate to make it worthwhile. And I think this is the fascinating question. It's why he's still here. It's why there's no guarantee that he won't still get another opportunity next year because they know the defense is difference making. Can he just do enough offensively and cut down on the mistakes to actually make it all worthwhile?
0: Yeah. I mean, it is the Danny Espinosa issue. It's the Michael A. Taylor issue. The defense is really good. And if he could just hit even at a league average level, he'd be an everyday player, but he can't do that or he hasn't done that. And so that, of course, has been the big problem. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Pennant races in baseball are on and Window Nation is coming through in the clutch. Think of Window Nation as the 2019 Nats. You right now can get new windows from Window Nation at half price. Two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit WindowNation.com or call 866 866- 90 Nation. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy efficient windows from Window Nation. Over 1,500 custom vinyl window options are available. And if you're wondering, well, do I need new windows? Well, if your current windows are sticky or drafty or cracked or hard to open or lock when the windows close, then you need new windows. Get yourself Window Nation windows and take advantage of this great offer two free windows for every two windows that you buy plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025 visit windonation.com or call 866-90-NATION that's WindowNation.com or 866-90-NATION and make sure that you tell WindowNation that Al Galdi sent you.
2: Nats is brought to you by Better Health. how we care for our minds affects how we experience life So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. It's been continually recommended to me that therapy is the way to go in modern times. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash That's BetterHelp.com slash Nats
3: The runner goes. The 3-2 swung out and missed. Barrera throws down the tag by Garcia, and he is out, and it's a double play. Well, that is huge for Carl Edwards Jr. On the 12th pitch of the at-bat, he strikes out Swanson, and Trace Barrera throws out his first base stealer of the season. So it's a strike him out, throw him out, double play to end the seventh inning.
0: Paolo Espino was an at-starting pitcher on Wednesday afternoon. You know, I thought he was decent in what was a spot start. Two runs, one earned in four innings. He gave up four hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He had two strikeouts. He did throw a good number of pitches, but uh, a lot of them were strikes. 71 pitches, 50 strikes, Versus 21 balls. What really stood out was Paolo's defense, uh, which failed Paolo. Paolo, the defender, failed Paolo, the pitcher. A Braves one run first. Paolo Espino in that inning, two throwing errors. A two-out throwing error on a pickoff throw. And then a throwing error on a two-out single by William Contreras on an 0-2 pitch for a one nothing Braves lead. Uh, Contreras with runners on first and second hit a dribbler toward the third base side of the infield. Paolo barehanded the ball and uh, then made, shall we say, an errant throw. To first base. It's always kind of funny to me, you know, pitchers, all they do, right, is throw to the catcher. But you will see pitchers commit throwing errors. We've seen this with the Nats uh, more than a few times this season. And uh, Paolo, for whatever reason, had a rough goal of it in terms of throwing as a fielder in that bottom of the first on Wednesday.
1: Same thing when you think of, well, why can't a guy with a good arm, an outfielder, an infielder, you put him on the mound, why can't he throw strikes? It's just not the same thing, especially the harried nature of an infield play where you're charging in, picking it up, trying to throw you know, without having time to plant your feet. But those were two pretty egregiously bad throws by him, the pickoff and then the little ground ball. And it did cost them. And you take those away, I think it's a very different outing for him. Now, you knew four innings in, Facing the lineup twice through, probably not going to get a chance to face that lineup a third time. And I think that was the right call on Davey Martinez's part. Even if he was succeeding up to that point, I think you have to know you're playing with fire against that lineup. And so I thought it was the right move. But knowing how much they had asked of their bullpen the last several days, it was a tall task. And they really desperately needed him to get through the lineup twice and keep the game competitive. So he did that. So I, I think Paolo Espino did what they needed him to do in this game. I think to expect more than that was probably naive. You would have liked a little cleaner defense, but in the end, that didn't matter. And he got him to the fifth inning, and then the rest of the bullpen took over and did a phenomenal job.
0: Yeah, four Nats relievers combined for five scoreless innings with five strikeouts. We talked about what happened with Carl Edwards Jr. and Andres Machado. Uh, Hunter Harvey came into the game bottom of the fifth. Runner on first, nobody out, Nats down two one got that flyout double play off the bat of Ronald Acuna Jr., did then give up a single to Dansby Swanson, but then struck out Austin Riley on seven pitches for the third out. And speaking of strikeouts, Kyle Finnegan, a perfect bottom of the ninth with two strikeouts. Boy, Finnegan, it really is something. When he is on, he is spectacular. And we saw that in a game on Tuesday night. He gives up a leadoff home run on Tuesday night, and then he ends up recording three consecutive strikeouts in his appearance. And the strikeouts were of the Braves numbers three through five batters. So, you know, the good, the bad on display on Tuesday night, really nothing but the good was on display in this game on Wednesday afternoon. And, you know, this Nats bullpen and I, you know, we've talked about it and I know that there have been bad performances, no doubt. You know, Steve Cishek. every time he comes to the game, you want to cover your eyes because, you know, someone's going to get it hit by a pitch and much more damage could be coming. But the overall output from this bullpen, especially lately, has been impressive. And, You look at what happened in this series. I mean, game one, one run in four innings. Game two, Patrick Corbin lasts for just 12 pitches due to back spasms, three runs in seven in a third innings. And then in this win on Wednesday afternoon, yeah, you put some guys on base, but ultimately five scoreless innings with five strikeouts.
1: Erasmo Ramirez has had a remarkable season for them, I think. As many innings as he's thrown, I think he's up to 80 innings or so this year with a 314 ERA. Hunter Harvey, 297 ERA. Finnegan, 379. Edwards Jr., 264. Andres Machado, 376. Jordan Weems has had his moments. c has has struggled. Mason Thompson, 260 ERA. That's a lot of relievers with pretty solid ERA. certainly better than anybody in the rotation has done for them. And that depth, the ability to go multiple innings on in some of their cases, I think has made a huge difference. They've had a lot asked of them here all year long, but especially here lately. And they continue to come through against good lineups like the Braves. That pitching staff held the Braves to 10 total runs in three games. We have not seen them do that to the Braves at all this year. They have blasted them out of the park most of the season. So to see that, that to me was really impressive from a group that you would worry this late in September would be on fumes, and they are not really showing that that's been a problem for them.
0: The truth is that whereas Anibal Sanchez has been better lately, a number of Nats pitchers have not been that good lately. Josiah Gray has been struggling. Eric Fetty has been struggling. So the bullpen has had to shoulder a heavier burden. And the bullpen, in terms of like better Nats pitching lately, it's been really Anibal Sanchez and the bullpen getting the job done because it hasn't been guys like Gray and Fetty and Patrick Corbin, even though Corbin has been a little bit better here in recent weeks. By the way, before we go, you were not on the last installment of the podcast. Do you think Corbin might be done for the season, that the Nats would use the back spasms as an excuse to shut him down? Or do you think that we're still going to see Patrick Corbin pitch?
1: It sounds like, and I wasn't in Atlanta with them, but it sounded like that he was going to take a couple days, see how he reacted to it, try to throw a bullpen session. If that all went fine, then he'd be able to come back and pitch. I, I think it's an interesting question. It certainly would be a convenient way for them to shut him down and not risk him losing games 19 and 20. That said, he has pitched better lately. And they just aren't really flush with a lot of pitching depth at the moment. And we know they gave Josiah Gray another couple of days before his next start Friday in Miami. A lot may depend on what happens with Mackenzie Gore. As we tape this, he has not made his rehab start yet for Rochester, but he is pitching on Wednesday night for Rochester. How that goes, is he ready the next time around or does he need one more of these that could impact whether Corbin pitches again or not? So, you know, obviously they're not going to put him at risk if he may you know, hurt himself worse, but I think they're gonna wait a few days before making that call. And in a perfect world they'd have enough other pitching they could say, Hey, let's just call it a season. But at the moment I don't know that they know they have enough other pitching to just, you know, sacrifice six innings out of Patrick Corbin.
0: Yeah, it would be convenient, though, with him at six and 18. If you are sensitive about 20 losses, back spasms up, what are you going to do? And, you know, you could say, hey, Patrick, you pitched well in four of your last five true starts this season. So, you know, it would allow you to sort of frame things as, well, he ended the season on a high note to whatever extent that matters. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. Hit up Tim Shover's Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. And don't forget, first ever Nats Chat Podcast Party, Friday night, October 14th at 7 o'clock at Walters, right across the street from Nationals Park. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. We want to send a special salute out to Val, a very loyal listener of the Nats Chat podcast. She this season has hit for the National League cycle by wearing her Nats Chat podcast Paolo Espino Secret Weapon t-shirt in all five stadiums this year. That's pretty good. You wear the Paolo Espino Secret Weapon t-shirt in all five NLE stadiums in one season.
1: I mean, she made a road trip that I didn't make. So (laughs) all credit to Val, who I met at Nats Park a few weeks ago. She is among the most loyal of the diehard fans. We really do appreciate it. Glad you got to see a win, even though your kid, Paolo, didn't actually come away with the win himself. Still looking for that first win, by the way. Is it going to happen before the end of the year? It's not looking great for Paolo, is it?
0: I think this is one of those deals where you put Paolo into a game as a reliever for the sole purpose of getting him the win. You know, like, go ahead and do that. Try to finagle things uh, with that. Paolo has earned it. You know, and Paolo, too, he's been jerked from starter to reliever so many times. He has stayed healthy, right? His arm has held up just fine. He never complains. Like, if anyone deserves a win, it's definitely our guy, Paolo Espino. All right, for Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
3: Finnegan sets. It'll be a payoff pitch to Acuna. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with a fastball at 99 miles an hour. And a curly W's in the books here at Truist Park in Atlanta. Two strikeouts in a 1-2-3 inning for Kyle Finnegan.